I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Florian Lauer of Weingut Peter Lauer on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Oh, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. It's it's the first snow here in New York. I saw for that year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no snow in 2013. Absolutely not not one one single drop. <laughs> what was 2013 like for you and the czar? The the czar is uh, in 2013. Let's say relatively uh, relatively few yield. A good quality, not a extraordinary high uh, Uxler, uh, but but really a, a good quality, uh, which which will bring out wines with uh, less alcohol, high concentration, and a lot of tension. So a good choice, but uh, very very few. We we are in, in the Zavali, uh, exceptionally low yields this year and this was due to uh, rot due to the noble rot which was coming relatively early uh, late september and uh, beginning of october it uh, yeah we, we were losing uh, 10% every day so it was really a difficult harvest was it something you had to really go fast uh, we had we had to to start very early and to to select and to select and to select. So we, we had three, four, sometimes five passings through each parcel, only to uh, to keep and to to save the, the new and fresh, uh, rotten and infected berries. Uh, if not, everything would have been uh, fallen to to the ground, and uh, you have nothing at the end. So you have really a very expensive harvest as well. <laughs> How did that contrast to a year like 2012? 2012 is an absolutely fantastic year. We have a, a the classic Riesling vintage, I would say. So, uh, not uh, enormous uh, quantities on grapes, but very, very good ripened, very good balance between uh, acidity and uh, and sugar. Not overwhelming. We have uh, we had a lot of water during uh, the summer, which leads to always too high extract values. And that's that's something uh, fantastic. Also, uh, let's say the the drinkability of these wines is uh, is unique. You have uh, young, a lot of fun with these wines. Uh, young, so let's say one year after bottling, 
right now as well as uh, they they are showing a great potential of aging so this is relatively rare uh, we have uh, you know, if you compare that to vintages like uh, let's say 2008 or 2004 uh, they hadn't been so uh, so sympathetic in the first approach but but now they they are opening up and now they they really deliver a great pleasure uh, but in, uh, let's say the first um, the first impression in a, in a vintage like two, 2012 is wow only perfect and so let's talk about the production you make it's often got a, a FOSS number on it exactly yeah and what yeah. is that so we have uh, something which is which is called a, a Gemarkungslage that's a construction uh, in Germany I'm not proud of it's uh, put all different sides together into one name and uh, um, sell it to the customer as it would be one homogeneous site so vineyard sites that are smaller sites are under one name yeah Uh, smaller sites middle class sites are sold had been or are actually sold under the name of the top site that's something absolutely uh, stupid (laughs) we try to fight against this it's not easy but uh, that makes it for us difficult to uh, diversify uh, our our wines Uh, we have uh, um, everything labeled as Isla Cup because that's from the first until the last wine normally everything had been labeled as Isla Cup in the past my grandfather um yeah wanted to to find a solution for that problem and he put the barrel number on the label that's how the barrel number came onto the lower labels so it's a situation where you the way you understand it is you have many single vineyards exactly but the german wine law asks you to label them all as the same famous vineyard eierkoop which you do but then to differentiate you put the barrel number the fast number on the bottle and maybe also another word to tell you which parcel it's from to tell you the truth exactly (laughs) (laughs) and so what are those different parcels so we have we have six vineyards around the village of isle um let's say they they are all exposed to a different direction oh you have sites like uh, sonnenberg which uh, is facing west the the evening sun then we have uh, Scheiterberg, Rauberg, uh, which are facing east. Then we have very good sites, the three top sites of Isle, uh, starting in the south, Schoenfels, which is south, and then Isla Kupp, which is south, and then Zafalsa. All three are south exposed. And uh, so you have a relatively good uh, mixture out of uh, these, these very, very warm um, south exposed sites and uh, the morning and the evening sun there is a, a certain difference between morning and ev- evening if the wine's getting the the sun the maximum sunshine the most intensity in the morning it uh, makes a, a big difference in the f- physiology of the wine than getting this maximum sunshine in the evening for that reason it's I'm I'm very very happy with our um, terror so you have you have a great uh, also a great uh, flexibility that's something i i really like on on isle because you can make very different kinds of wines or somewhat different yeah different kinds of wines and uh, and we can um, pick the grapes at their really at their 
optimum. Uh, you have to imagine, you we only grow one single grape. It's the Riesling. It's hundred percent of our, all our production. There are there are more uh, wine estates like this in in our region now, which are at least ninety percent monocepage, so one single grape, and uh, they have always to decide. I I have to pick some grapes earlier than the optimum. Some. I can pick at at the optimum, and some I have to pick with the overripeness. Perhaps I'm I'm losing a little bit yield. Um, I risk to 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 lose quality, to lose quantity, whatever. And if you if you have uh, sites which are um, a little bit like an escalate, uh, ripening one after the other, it's, it's very nice. So it's yeah, and it probably also helps with harvest. Like Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you have you have uh, so much stress if you have to to pick everything on in 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 one week. Yeah, and then you've you've you need thirty, forty, fifty picker and uh, and I don't know uh, three three pressings and uh, a, a team which is uh, uh, working twenty four hours a day. This is really uh, difficult, and so we we try to 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 enlarge this uh, period, and uh, it 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 works relatively well. I've tasted Laurel wine, same vintage, side by side, and found big differences. Yeah, we have a, a very heterogeneous landscape around Isle. Isle is absolutely not directly on the river, but uh, the sites are sometimes directly on the river, going into the mountains, and then you have you can imagine you have a, a one. Part, let's say, uh, let's divide it in, into into three parts. If uh, one third, which is r- relatively close to to the water, which uh, takes profit out of the the influence of the uh, humidity of the river, uh, of the temperature buffering capacity of the water, t- uh, which which shows a character also in the wine. Then you have some something which is which is let's say middle, a um, little bit water influence, a little bit uh, more continental. <laughs> climatically speaking and uh, then you have the the real uh, the part of the vineyard which is far away from the water has uh, higher temperature changings over the day relatively uh, hot during uh, the day relatively cool during night and uh, that's giving you different wines different tastes and um, i think you you really you can you can pick this up if you what do you tend to notice between the different fast bottlings you know what do you pick out in a given year what is one parcel like and so I, I, I can i can give you an example for a, a really very 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 warm um, site i can name the zafalza zafalza is south exposed and in the same time directly on the border of the river so it's 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 really it's the the river side yeah which is uh, going up in in, uh, in a 40 degree angle and is planted with riesling uh, this is really an oven. Huh? There is uh, is heat. There is humidity, which is always a protection against frost. And uh, you have less acidity in those vineyards. Much more ripening into direction of overripe uh, aromaticity, uh, exotic flavors. Um, uh, sometimes a little bit spicy, but that has something to do with a uh, with a soil with specific soil on this side but uh, you have always the impression this wine is drinkable 
two, three, four, five years earlier than the others which are coming from uh, from far away with a long uh, distance to, to the water. And then you have a certain smoothness and a certain roundness in on the palate uh, in those wines compared to uh, to another uh, wine who's perhaps called, yeah, let's say, the Kern, Kern, which is for sure, which is an off-dry Riesling. This is completely different. There we have this uh, high temperature changing between day and night. It brings you uh, something like green or fresh exotic notes, uh, something like pineapple, fresh cutted pineapple in yeah in this context you, you can mention okay the can is turning into uh, into southwest so it's getting the the evening sun and uh, the evening sun means you have the whole day the water lost humidity already and the the moisture on yeah let's say in in the afternoon uh, is 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 less than in in the morning so the roots have to go deeper in those spots and by by this way the wines are a little bit richer on fennels because the the roots always have a, a direct reaction to the to the skin to the berry skin and if they let's say the the roots indicate dryness yeah the berry makes a little bit more of these funnels to it's, it's protection it's protection system and uh, by that phenomenon you you have uh, yeah a completely other uh, taste in your mouth and what about a parcel like the Schoenfeld? Schoenfels is uh, oh something very very special Schoenfels had been cultivated since let's say uh, 120, 130 years um, has has never been, let's say, had never been pointed out by by journalists or had never uh, had a, a really high reputation. Uh, I must say, I, I uh, if if you look to these uh, to those wine books, if you look to to old uh, restaurant maps, uh, so no, maps wine cards, sorry, <laughs> um, you you always find Eila uh, Kup. You find Eila Herrenberg. Um, these are the two uh, very, very popular and famous wines. Uh, but the Schoenfels was, let's say, won a little bit of uh, of reputation during the 1930s and 40s. And uh, those days, there had been good winemaker in Saarburg, which which were able to uh, to bring them to their auction and. Who, who got a lot of money for, for, for their Schoenfels grapes or for their Schoenfels wines. And we have, so my, my grand, great, great grandfather uh, had a parcel in the Schoenfels since 1880. And he cultivated this vineyard until uh, 1940, approximately. Then it was planted new. One part was planted new, one part uh, dates back from 1912 since today, and one part was, was planted new, and we had a, a gap from uh, from 1940 until, uh, yeah, let's say, uh, 1980 approximately. And, uh, and so for 40 years, for, for, for 40 years, it was was completely abundant. Uh, my father replanted again in 1980, and. Let's say this vineyard is is uh, is forgotten today. It's it's not it's no vineyard anymore. But the other part, which which had been planted in 1912 and and had not been pulled out, that uh, small parcel was cultivated until um, 1990 approximately. Then my father stopped, and 
I was thinking about this this vineyard when I came uh, back from the university in 2000, 2006. 2006, I, I restarted to cut all the vineyards, the, the, the trunk, uh, the, the wines, back to the trunk, so, so cut it everything off. And I, I hoped only, because I had, I had absolutely no experience, I hoped that, that these, these very, very old wines are growing again, uh, pushing again. And we have had two years of uh, very few yield, of only only two grapes per wine. Yeah, that was a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> my father said, "Oh, you <laughs> boy, <laughs> you're you're not right in your head. What what are you going to do?" Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I said, "Hey, let's let's wait another year." And and the third year, that was I think 2008. We oh we had our first result, which was extraordinarily good. And uh, since since those days. We we are absolutely, or me, I'm absolutely fan of of, of this vineyard. Schoenfels is is our oldest vineyard, has the oldest uh, wine, and let's say the most of them are ungrafted. The special, let's say, the special situation of this vineyard is unique in in the Zavali. You have very close to the to the water a rock, a very it's a steep rock. Which is going vertical from the border of the river, which is going vertically up, and the last, let's say, uh, 50 meters altitude are planted with riesling, and there is no cover uh, uh, or protection w- forest on the top. This this is what you have usually in, in on the Zavali and uh, in the Mosul, and this uh, this leads to to a, a very strange combination out of really overripe part which is lower and closer to the water, and uh, which is giving you uh, dried berries, which is giving you overripe aromas. Then you have this this middle part which is a little bit the mixture, and the the, the highest part is so windy that that really have have the impression you you uh, you're coming to another uh, climatic uh, climatic area yeah when you when you climb climb up this vineyard and you're working down in in the heat and you climb up these 50 meters to the top yeah it's 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 so windy you have the impression you're coming to to an air conditioned room yeah, and you're really freezing yeah? and, and this is this combination is uh, i think is the secret uh, for for such a tension loaded uh, wine you speak about tension. I think about the texture, especially of younger Lauer wines, as very tension-filled, like right, really right on the edge often. I, I, sometimes I don't know how to really categorize them in my mind if I were to do that. You know, I can drink them, no problem, but to to put them into a, you know, one way or another, is this dry, is this off-dry, is this slightly off-dry, can be somewhat difficult because it's almost razor-sharp tension, like figure skater tension. Yeah. Yeah, that this is uh, this is what what my my interpretation of Zarisling is. So I th- I think we are absolutely not the region to to produce only bone dry wines. This this is uh, uh, there are other regions in in the world which are which are better in this. So, so uh, for that reason, I'm happy uh, with a little bit of uh, residual sugar. I'm happy with a little bit of, of fruitiness uh, in, in these wines. Always, always combined with that, um, with that clear, fresh and crisp minerality, always combined with a certain saltiness uh, in the wines, uh, with a, let's say, 
a refreshing acidity for sure and sometimes it's uh, it's also a little bit perhaps bitter yeah you can also have some some phenolic uh, impression uh, on the tongue that's that's all possible i have a relatively clear uh, view uh, how I, um, i like my wines to be i i want really i want interfere very very few in the vinification process not a lot of interference uh, yeah yeah absolutely uh, i i try to to let run the fermentation uh, absolutely lonely without any control um, the only control i can can do uh, what what we do uh, definitely is is uh, regulation of, of our cellar temperature uh, that's something uh, you should not have 30 degrees Celsius in the cellar, but except this, we do a, a, a simple clarification, and after this, uh, we we don't interfere anymore. And if the wine is coming out with, let's say, 12 gram, 13 gram residual sugar, 17 gram, or 9 gram, it usually the the wine's presenting very harmonious and uh, so i'm not the one who's forcing these wines to ferment drier so uh, there is after my impression there is something like a natural regulation in in those wines uh, this this fermentation is sometimes slow sometimes it takes really long and you have to have to have a lot of passion and you have to wait even if the barrel is perhaps not fermenting anymore stops but you know it it it's coming back after a certain time of, of waiting. And so for, for this reason, I, I always let the wines the time they need. And uh, if, if it comes out with, with a certain portion of residual sugar, I'm, I'm happy about this. Yeah. And you mentioned barrel. There is aging in barrel. There's aging in barrel. There's even um, a batonnage, yeah, which, which you proceed uh, with our wines. So uh, that, that means, so batonnage is that, process with a mixing or bringing like, a, like bring, whisking some eggs and yeah eggs, like that kind of <laughs> exactly yeah <clears throat> that that helps uh, our, our wines a lot we have never been a fan of deacidification even if in a lot of vintages the the official institution gives the recommendation to deacidify. Uh, I hate deacidification, uh, even uh, as all the other, uh, let's say, manipulation. But you uh, you see, if you if you only let the the wines the, and give the wines the time to develop in the barrel, in contact with uh, with its uh, its own natural yeast, yeah, you see there is there is a certain balance developing without any interaction. So you you have by let's say the only manipulation is is I mix yeah I I bring the the yeast which which is is dying and and uh, uh, sink sinking to the ground of the the barrel I bring it in suspension again and then uh, uh, this this uh, very sharp and and perhaps too intense acidity is, is covered or is, is is packed in a in a really in a fine uh, yeah in a fine in a fine powder yeah in something uh, something smooth yeah which is coming out of the of the yeast that's that's uh, for me it's a absolutely uh, it's the best way to to present our our wines and, and to to make our wines yeah that's so speaking about making the wines you took over in in 05 you'd done some work with your dad in 04 your yeah. dad's still alive yeah uh, and his name is peter he was peter, peter exactly. the second yeah but my name is florian peter <laughs> 
So your middle name is Peter. Yeah, exactly. So you can still work there. That's good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I tried last year at the Riesling Fear, I tried a, a 92 Lauer. And I think the texture was a little different than what I taste now. It seemed yeah. more lemon, more waxy, more chamomile, a little broader. And I can imagine some of the wines making it there that you make today, but not quite. I can't quite see them at the same age in my mind being the mm. same texture. Why might that be? Uh, I, I agree totally. Uh, my father was working uh, a little bit different. Uh, that's something, uh, let's say, um, general in, in, in Germany. It's, it's a general development we, we had uh, over the last hundred years. That's, say, the, the real, the old tradition uh, which 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 I, I define as, as as being what took place from 1850 to let's say 1940 approximately this this time this is for me this is the real classical tradition um, and then so there were was a lot of research on on viticulture uh, during the the second world war and after the the war in, in the 50s and in the 60s there had been a lot of new cellar techniques and my father was was not not a, a technic freak yeah, but it uh, he, he used all the all the new possibilities as well as everybody else did, and so uh, me as uh, my understanding of, of winemaking, I I don't like to to be the or to make the classical wine style from uh, thirty years back. I like this this one eighty years back. Yeah, this is this is what I, I am looking for, and and so my my, my father was uh, was used to handle with the uh, um, artificial yeasts. Uh, so this, this dry, dry yeast and filtering and uh, fining and all that stuff. Um, my, my my father also uh, went went to school in in, in Germany. He uh, he was uh, learning at the at the Bischöfliche Weingüter in Trier, and so so he he took over all these let's say relatively schooler ways of, of working. And um, he, during his uh, his forty years of winemaking, he himself he stopped with this uh, uh, very classical or no classical. Let, let's 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 forget about classic and tradition because I <laughs> I find it's not clear defined with with this this uh, uh, way of working he learned at school and he developed let's say in the last years of the of the nineties and beginning of the new millennium he developed really a, a new style and this this was what what i was infected by so he he was the one who who said hey florian listen i i tried out something and and it really it works good yeah i i remember my my father did it once i i tried it it's it it worked, and uh, and he he didn't know even even him by himself why why he used all that that stuff before. <laughs> that that was very funny, and and I I was I was very happy about this development and these this knowledge, and um, um, that um, yeah that met uh, my my uh, let's say my experience from abroad from from the university from my studies and all this together lead it at the end to the style we produce today it's interesting you say your father went to school in germany for wine but you didn't you went to school in montpellier in france did you see a difference between the kind of studies that your similar age generation in germany would be 
studying in Germany rather than in France? Yeah, so so there's a there's a very obvious difference. Uh, let's say if you if you have the the university, the wine university in Germany, which is Geisenheim, um, if you have one, let's call it monopolist, <laughs> and you compare that to France with its uh, four or five uh, big universities specialized and and specified to a really a special part of winemaking like in the champagne region you have the uh, the university for for champagne making in uh, in bordeaux is the the center of enologists uh, in montpellier are the, the the viticulturalists and and so on and, and and you have for sure you have much more concurrence in france than uh, than that could be in in germany so Ge- more focused on the viticulture the the, the um for you Let's say uh, it's it's at least in in France it's it's more uh, more divided it's more specialized and in in Germany yeah, they have to to teach you everything yeah, for sure there, there's no no other person who could do it so so they, they teach you everything and they they also they also teach you the, the this this let's say relatively simple schooler uh, uh, wine making recipe yeah, which which is well known since since decades in, in Germany and uh, I was happy uh, being on a on a university in, in in Montpellier which is absolutely free of of this um, uh, let's call it uh, winemaking dogma uh, so there I learned about uh, a lot about red wine so that that's perhaps something I I, I don't need today, uh, really. But uh, there are, there are always a lot of uh, uh, links between uh, red wine making, white wine making, and and so what I really uh, liked is the viticultural part because that was the best viticultural education you ever could could get in Europe, and with a yeah with a most interesting teacher as well people uh, who who uh, have invented wine architecture and uh, have defined terroir region in france so like working together with a winemaker to define a aoc and the character of a wine by itself and accompany uh, such a development on, on a scientific uh, side uh, this was very very interesting and i never never heard about this in germany uh, before and for for this reason i i liked my my education very much i haven't had one single school hour about riesling making in germany never nor in germany nor in france so everything i know about enology is is uh, yeah let's say try and error and the knowledge of my of my father and of my ancestors you know that's really interesting especially for me about the red wine because in a way sometimes when i drink a lauer wine especially when it's a little younger maybe from a certain more austere kind of vintage, like maybe 11 or something. Mm. Sometimes what comes to mind for me is almost the sensation of drinking an austere lighter red, like a dolcetto, like that, yeah. that kind of that kind of texture. Yeah, yeah Obviously, the exactly. fruit's very different. But. Exactly, yeah. No, that's... Uh, I, I think it's... Uh, it's a good observation and i think it's it's right if uh, when when i went to uh, to school there'd been a a very famous a teacher who was called carbono and and he invented the liar trellising and the liar trellising for example is using two two foliage uh, canopy sides uh, only one root uh, in order to make the photosynthesis capacity bigger and let's say this is a little bit what what i took over we we added 
a wire on top of our of our wines uh, so we, we could make the canopy a little bit larger higher and for sure this is leading to a little bit more water consumption and uh, and this is leading another step to the production of a little bit more more uh, polyphenols a little bit more aromas a little bit more secondary metabolism products or uh, the point is this this is something very worthful for for wines which have a fruitiness which have a, a roundness which have a, perhaps a certain overripeness you you uh, have a, a weight against this too much uh, you you uh, bring the balance again into the wine by using such technique also we let the the, the grapes a little bit into their own juice so make a, a certain maceration process during the pressing. And this is something which enriches the wine enormously. A little skin contact. It's it's not... So you, you, you don't have to uh, to exaggerate that. It's it's not nice. Uh, on the reason we, we tried, we tried with everything. <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> I have also wines made in the cellar. You, you don't want it to drink. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it works like this. This is the only way to uh, to find a, a perfect uh, production system. Yeah, you have to try every year and every year. And even even within a vintage, you have to try out. We, 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 we're starting uh, at, at the beginning of, of the winter, we're starting with a long skin con Contact, then we make a, a middle long then we make a short contact and and i uh, i can i can yeah discuss the results with my father we we see okay there should be a little bit longer the, we should uh, um, for, forget completely about skin contact this year there can also be a result uh, and uh, yeah like like this you have an approach every year and every year uh, by new Let's talk about some of the bottlings we didn't talk about. Yeah. So you make a bottling called X. Yeah, the barrel X is, is a very nice example of a of a Zarisling. So we have also due to our membership, uh, recent membership in the in the VDP, developed a three step system, which is uh, far away from what the German wine law is giving. This three step system start is starting with a regional wine. That, that's like the region is, is for us is, is the Zar Valley. And uh, within the Zar Valley, we, we're doing some cooperation with other winemaker, with friends. Out of my friends' grapes, uh, which, I, which I can pick by, by my own uh, and uh, vinify. And uh, out of our own grapes, because we only have vineyards in Isle, uh, we're making a, a regional wine. So this is coming from some villages around from Saarburg, from Wawan, Wiltingen, Eil, uh, and so on. And this this is a very, very nice, say, starter. I think if you uh, want to wanna come to uh, into the experience of, of Saarisling or, or into the experience of lower wine, oh, I would recommend that very well, uh, very much to, to start with this because it's it, easy to drink. It's uh, it, it shows you the advantage of the Saar wines. And for me, it's it's absolutely pleasure to uh, to drink it. Yeah? We have a certain portion of residual sugar in it. We have a, a moderate alcohol. We have a, a nice, refreshing acidity. So it's the perfect party wine uh, for everybody, and uh, if you uh, if you like, it's it's also accompanying food uh, very well. And what about the bottling known as Senior? The uh, the Senior is a very um, yeah, it's a very funny story about my my grandfather. Senior is uh, our barrel number six, 
but it it got the 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 additional name senior due to one fact my grandfather was i, I would say let's say 20 years in in our our uh, estate uh, not working but only uh, um, being there uh, entertaining the the clients talking about the weather with people and and was only uh, he was only there and he, he enjoyed his uh, pension <laughs> and in, uh, in last consequence he needed a wine which was able to accompany his uh, his day his whole day uh, he uh, he liked uh, to come down at 11 o'clock in the morning and then he uh, he ordered two two glass of champagne or how we call that sect uh, or, or sect and uh, after that he 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 always started to drink a bottle out of a certain uh, vineyard that's a, a vineyard which is located in the southwestern exposed part of the Isla Cup. And uh, this wine was always, let's say, not bone dry, dry tasting, but with a certain portion of fruit. Um, the alcohol moderate, let's say, between 11 11.5 alcohol. And this was the perfect friend for him for the whole whole rest of the day he drank that to lunch he had that between the meals and to dinner he he enjoyed it and uh, for sure uh, the evening the, the last glass for for the day was uh, this senior wine when he died in uh, 1996 uh, in the age of 86 by the way so the the senior is uh, something like medicine for him the no we we, we kept that that very nice tradition um, and uh, every year uh, by new we we are bottling a wine who who would be very nice for my grandfather and my grandfather is, is still living i must say in this wine year by year one of my favorite wines that you produce is the sparkling riesling maybe you could tell me a little bit about that i mean i really tend to enjoy you, you're speaking about the, the the young the fresh one or oh, no, not ripened i mean i'm sure i would like the fresh one but i like the one with age I with mean, age yeah. um so so th this is something uh really special uh, i must say there is no long tradition for a ripened sparkling this is really this is a result of having not bottled the entire stock or having not uh, degorged the entire stock let's say like this my my father started in uh, during the the 70s uh, started making making sparkling and uh, when he disgorged the wines he, he always kept 300 400 bottles sometimes only 200 bottles he kept in the cellar and said, oh, perhaps I, I'm using that next year. Uh, he didn't use it next year because next year he had another vintage uh, and so on and so on. And every year he kept a certain portion of undisgorged sparkling in the bottle. Uh, the, I don't know, the, the French guys call it surlat. So with a uh, small layer of yeast in the bottle. Uh, and um, yeah, in, in, I think, 2000. 2009 we we started to go uh, yeah, to look after these uh, forgotten bottles we started uh, to open a, a 1985 uh, 1984 and we found it it's uh, it was developing uh, completely different to uh, to all the other tastes we, we we have in the, in the in the fresh sparkling we know how a sparkling tastes normally but but this was completely different and by this uh, experience we, we said hey we, we have to 
uh, we have to look for the other vintages and we we tried out of out of every vintage we tried a, a bottle and 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 we found out there are some vintages which are absolutely great uh, there are some vintages we need which need time and uh, and so we we started to to disgorge new fresh um in, in 1985 and the, the completely stock of the 1985 had had been been used uh, and sold at home and we we had uh, a lot of very very positive reaction because people were coming and said i never tasted such a product i said yeah also we are very surprised about about this uh, uh what came out here at the end uh, we said it's it's really uh, a good idea to disgorge year by year a new vintage a new old vintage with at least 20 years of uh, uh, of yeast contact that's something very important you have a, a wine let's say you have, have conserved a, a wine due to that yeast contact and you can in the uh, in the moment of disgorgement you can uh, uh, start the normally the normal ripening the normal maturation normal aging of uh, of that uh, that sparkling and this is something uh, very interesting it's a big difference to to a sparkling which had been in yeast contact three years and then 17 years after disgorgement that's a big difference to 20 years uh, on the yeast and freshly uh, disgorgement. And what's what's really funny about this, you have uh, an aromaticity, which is uh, a very, very strange. You have uh, licorice, you have uh, something like Christmas tree <laughs> smell, like nuts, like dry honey, things like this. Um, and for me, it, it, it was, uh, at the beginning, it was, was relatively complicated to communicate what, what this is, what, uh, what can you do, when, when to serve, to what to eat. Uh, for me, I, I, I had, uh, it took me a lot of time to, to find out what, how to handle this this product and this sparkling. So I had, uh, had a little bit, little help by, um, by a sommelier who uh, who's relatively well known uh, in Germany and and he he told me hey I would not uh, uh, use that wine as a starter as aperitif like like a sparkling normally is used I would serve it during the menu yeah, during the menu to to a special course which is which is spicy which has uh, which reflects a little bit these these spicy notes and then he 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 said something very important use a big glass for for this uh, sparkling don't don't use a, f a, a flute so uh, this champagne flute um use a big bordeaux glass uh, with a lot of air that was something completely new for me that that you uh, that you could use a such a, a big glass for sparkling and then he said something incredible he said that I have a I have a really good uh, combination found out a really good combination I opened the sparkling and I decanted and by during this decanter process, uh, all the CO2 is gone, the, the gas is out, no bubbles anymore. But you have a, a, a really funny wine, which is 20 years old, but not oxidized, or 25 years old. And this was this was something uh, something really new. Uh, so so that that was leading to two points. The one point is we we sold that a lot to restaurants who uh, who had was were specialized of some cheese menus of cheese courses. They they combined it with old ripened hard cheese, uh, um, soft cheese, especially in in the Netherlands. They uh, they found it really fantastic, and. Uh, 
the other point is um, you you have a, you have a, a a wine which can be served as a digestive more or less or you have a sparkling i don't know how to call it you put it into a big bordeaux glass or you decanter and uh, you let you wait for one hour for two hours and the wine which is completely reductive due to the the long long yeast contact is opening up and is is making a a mini aging process during your meal or during uh, your your speak speech on the table that that's something really fantastic you smell into that into that glass and the aroma and the the bouquet is changing uh, extremely uh, quickly and gives you uh, the impression of having a, a, a young fruity product then uh, something like uh, after half an hour more spicy than nut, nuts coming out than then this this uh, christmas tree flavor uh, so absolutely surprising so what would have happened over the course of a 20 year development happening in the course of say an hour or two aromatically Yeah, so what's what's happening during 20 years is is the the yeast is uh, there's a, a author lies, uh, uh, and the yeast is giving all its uh, aromas into the the sparkling that that takes a long time yeah? because normally after after three or four years you don't see that so much and that is depending a little bit on the acidity which uh, in those years, 80s the 90s beginning of the 90s was relatively high and by this fresh acidity you you have a a, a very good let's say uh, opening of these yeast components uh, acid hydrolyzes uh, um, and this process uh, makes it possible to discover these aromas which are normally within the yeast and you don't get out and uh, so depending on The pH and the acidity of each vintage, the one is is developing quicker. The one is developing slower. That's a little bit also the uh, the condition we we observe. So you mentioned joining the VDP. That's something that happened fairly recently for Lauer. What was that like? <laughs> that was a, a great honor. That was uh, something I was happy about. Let's say uh, we uh, we applied for. Uh, the VDP in um, uh, I think in 2005 or something like this. It was my father who who applied, in fact, <laughs> and he he started to uh, to get in contact with the VDP, uh, with the members, with uh, the colleagues, and so on. And yeah, I uh, I must say the the membership in the VDP is a is a hard and very very long process to get to get a member of the vdp at least the vdp mosul zaruva is um is really yeah is a hard hard nut <laughs> um that took uh yeah, nearly six seven years for for them to uh to come to a result they so, lost your paperwork maybe yeah um <laughs> uh, i hope so <laughs> No, the, the the point is they they really they they think a lot about their their new members uh, and they they observe you they talk to you they come to you making tastings seeing oh who 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 is that person who who likes to join us and also new membership is always something new for the for the club uh, and it's uh, it's something new for the for the wine estate also the wine estate has to be able to to modify. Uh, and to adapt his his production portfolio to the VDP system, uh, to the let's 
say also to to these uh, VDP prices. It's not uh, it's not secret that that the VDP has well, a lot of VDP members has some some expensive wines, and we yeah let's say we had been really happy when in 2012. Uh, end of 2012, beginning of 2013, uh, the uh, we get the message: "Hey, you are accepted." <laughs> that that was a, a long process, but but I, I I think we fit into that that uh, club very well. The first year was so now it's one one year is over. So one vintage is bottled and labeled under the VDP, and with the according according to the VDP system, that's the 2012, and um, I. I'm really I'm very happy uh, being being part of that very very traditional club with its uh, absolutely fantastic winemakers. There is a, a great tradition also of this uh, auction system, and uh, these auctions uh, took place. The first auction took place over 100 years ago. I think it's it's one of the of the most fascinating things to to see how. Uh, how people are fighting for your wine <laughs> and are, are bidding for to get your product what what you did and this is this is a unique uh, experience you know one of the things that's interesting about your family is that your family runs a a restaurant and lodging so it's not just that you make wine but that you also sell wine to restaurant guests yeah exactly that may not be uh, your wine there's other wines on there. Yeah, yeah, there, there are also other wines. It's let's say in in in, in the beginning, uh, my great great grandfather started in during the the nineteenth uh, century. He he offered his own wine yeah, for sure. But when my my grandfather in nineteen sixty four built uh, an hotel and a restaurant next to the wine estate, he he also uh, had other uh, other wines from neighbors, from friends, from. Uh, wherever he could find good good products and good wines, and uh, yeah, that that uh, is developing uh, and that's running since yeah over over 130 years now. <laughs> and this is something uh, I grew up with, and um, I must I must say I I like the uh, um, the restaurant business uh, very much. But I, I'm I'm no more able to to do it today. That uh, I would say I, I I'm happy if if I can can run and focus of the wine estate and we have a very good team at the hotel restaurant, which are uh, which continue the work my my family began. But did that also give you a different sense of the market in the way that seeing people at the auction bid on your wines? Did, did seeing the wines get ordered or not in your own restaurant? Yeah, for sure. So, so one one thing which is uh, which is absolutely obvious is my uh, my grandfather, who was a a great man, uh, I must say, of of his his age. Uh, so he he was one who. The one who started the first making dry wines in the Saar Valley, he saw, okay, I have these sweet wines, these those days classical sweet wines um, to offer, but sometimes some food and some some dishes need a, a drier riesling. So he had made a lot of research on on how to get the the, the Saar riesling 
dry and harmonious during the uh, 60s during the 70s he had um, so he, he was one of the of the first who tried to to manage the acidity that was the one of the biggest problems those days it was uh, at least uh, 1.5 to 2 degrees celsius less than than it is today so so uh, the 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 level of, of the acidity was not uh, like today 10 grams per liter or parts parts per million it was 16 17 sometimes over 20 so this was a let's say a problem the winemaker always uh, tried to to salute uh, by uh, the use of of residual sugar for sure uh, and my, my grandfather found out how he could manage to to get that that acidity harmonious and so he was able to produce dry wine that is what my father continued he he also had well let's say 80 uh, percent dry and off dry riesling is only 20 percent sweet and that's what what we have today is uh, absolutely the same we have 20 uh, 20 percent uh, sweeter wines and 80 percent dry and off dry that's what what it is what you what I continued. Yeah. You spoke about sometimes decanting the sparkling wines that had been late disgorged. Do you ever decant the other wines, like the dry wines? Hmm. No. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't decant. I. Uh, uh, I think the the best way to deal with with wines which are which are closed is is open them, put the cork on again, put it in the fridge, um, wait for one week. And um, so, so there, there's normally there's no problem to uh, to open our wines uh, um, one day to uh, empty half of the bottle to put them back in the fridge. Best, by the way, is not in the door <laughs> because the door is always moving. Better is in a, a station a station where there's no movement, and uh, then you can keep that wine easily for one week one and a half week uh, or longer and uh, like this you you discover how the wine is opening up and how how you 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 get on these these uh, aromas or this this harmonious taste which is perhaps not present in the first glass you you pour out of the of the, of the bottle florian lauer of peter lauer thank you so much for explaining to us how your wines open up it's been <laughs> a pleasure thank you it, it was a pleasure for me. Thank you very much. Florian Lauer of Weingut, Peter Lauer in the Tsar of Germany. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.